Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England Case Profiles Edition. Hello, welcome back to another mini episode. We are so glad that you are joining us on this episode for this episode series that we've been working very hard on for the past several months. Thank you for joining us. Yes, it means a lot, especially because most of the cases we cover, not a whole lot of information not a whole lot of media coverage, not a whole lot of law enforcement attention. So as a result, most of these cases are unsolved, which makes them all the more important to talk about. 100%. And as most of you know, New England as a region is super white, and that's fine, except for the fact that there is racial disparity when it comes to murder cases, abduction cases, disappearance cases, all kinds of things. There's very clearly a divide. So our goal here with this mini episode series, as most of you know, is we like to cover cases that there's not a lot of media attention out there, but we still want them to be told. So we use this series to give that platform to these stories in order to spread awareness. A lot of these cases have very little sources, and when they do have sources, it's the same paragraphs repeated over and over. So our goal is to take as much as we can of the accurate information and share it with you. Yes, we are going to get these cases of people of color out there. Absolutely. And how we do this episode, unlike our normal length episodes, is Katie and I tell each other a case. Katie's going to start us off today by telling a story, and then I will tell one back. We have not heard these cases. We just know they were on our big list, but we didn't look into them. The oohs, the ahs, the questions, those are all genuine. Katie, I beg you, would you mind starting first today? It'll be my honor. Oh, good. I will be telling you, Liz, as well as our lovely listeners, about the murder of Jocelyn McCready. Okay. My sources today, there's a whopping two. Oh, boy. WPRI.com and SavageWatch.com. To be fair, we use both of those sources quite a bit, and they are wonderful. They are fabulous. Yes, indeed. On March 12, 1995, two drivers with the Providence Journal, who we actually also use pretty frequently as a source, absolutely, began their route delivering papers door-to-door in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. On Grand Avenue, they drove past a large blue tarp that was rolled up in an odd shape. Oh. The two men took notice, and they continued on their route, but they ended up turning around to look closer at the tarp because one of them had a bad feeling. Oh, always trust your gut. Always trust your gut. They were able to actually flag down a police officer and bring him down the small side street and over to the tarp. Hmm. Sure enough, Hmm. their gut feeling turned out to be correct. Inside the tarp was the body of 19-year-old Jocelyn McCready. She had been strangled and beaten. And the most disturbing part is that the autopsy revealed she was four and a half months pregnant at the time of her murder. No. Jocelyn was also a mom to two young children. Jeez. It took over a month to identify her. Really? Investigators had found a match for her fingerprints in Boston because Jocelyn lived in Roxbury, Massachusetts. Wow. Why was she so far away? Police were wondering the same thing because she had no connections to Pawtucket or actually anywhere in Rhode Island, for that matter. Hmm. That's suspicious. Extremely. Hmm. Police feel as though she was murdered in Massachusetts and then driven and dumped in Rhode Island because the side street she was found on wasn't far from the highway. Truly just dumped. Wrapped in a tarp, driven across state lines, 
two states, I think. I was they would say. have to go through Connecticut first. Yeah. And then got off the highway, down a random side street, dropped her. That's ridiculous. Yep. Four and a half months pregnant. Ugh. 19 years old. Yeah. Police think that she was left there between 1.30 and 4.30 a.m. on the 12th. Okay. Which is actually crazy because if you think about how she was found by the two people on a paper route, right. you start your paper route really early, super early. So she was probably dumped there and then they drove past really not too long after. Wow. So it's, I mean, I get it was 1995, but, and as awful as this is, depending on when she was murdered, there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, exposure to the elements right. in the time it took for her to be found. Right. So there would still be, hopefully, a lot of evidence that they could revisit. 100%. It's just, it's so sad to me. Yeah, that is pretty awful. Jocelyn's case is still cold, and it was added to the Rhode Island cold case deck of cards. She's the eight of clubs. Okay. Anyone with any information on the murder of Jocelyn McCready is asked to please call 1-877-RI-SOLVE. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they already looked into it, but my first gut was obviously baby daddy. Just because 1,000%. That's just where your mind goes, I think. Right. And she had two other kids. So if she had one or two of those children with someone else, and maybe this was a new partner or the father of those children... If there were any discrepancies, if right. the kids had different fathers, right. look into fucking all of them. Absolutely. That's awful. But it sucks because clearly whoever did that dropped her across state lines intentionally. Of course. To make it harder to find. And clearly it was effective. Yeah. At least for a month or whatever. Right. For her identification. Right. And it took a month to identify her. And she wasn't, I'm sure, that decomposed if they she was found that quickly. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's just so sad. It's very sad. Poor, poor thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, Her poor kids, too. Poor kiddos. It's awful. Can you imagine? There must have been. I would imagine they were pretty young, yeah. just given her age. Yes. So that's awful that they really didn't get a chance to know their mom. Right. And her family, too, because she would have been missing for... At least a month before she was identified. Right. Let alone the time it took for her after her murder to be dropped there. Right. At least a month she would have been missing. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. Atrocious. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Well, my case today, it doesn't have a conclusion, so it's pretty sad. And it also involves a woman, which normally I feel like we covered guys. I don't know. Yeah. But Today, I will be telling you the story of the disappearance of Regina Brown. I have three sources, if you can believe it. The Newtown Bee, a medium.com article written by Kat Lee, and an article from a website called Trace Evidence. 35-year-old flight attendant Regina Brown lived in Newtown, Connecticut with her husband and three young children. At the time of this incident, she was married to... Her husband, 52-year-old Willis Brown, he was a pilot for American Airlines, and he also owned a local moped rental business called The Moped Man. They had three young children, Nicholas, who was four, Raina, who was three, and Ashley, who was two, at the time of this incident. At this point, 
Regina and Willis had been married for five years, and their marriage was not that of a fairy tale. There had been allegations that Willis was violent towards Regina, with one incident ending in Willis's arrest for strangling her during an argument. No way. Yes, 100%. And this, of course, is while, you know, Willis is getting accused of all this stuff. He's throwing it right back at Regina, of course. She's mad, too. She's crazy. He said that... um, she was using drugs, that she was cheating on him. He actually demanded paternity tests for all of their children. They ended up doing six tests total between the three children. And of course, they all showed that he was indeed their father. So this guy was clearly nutso because she was not cheating on him. Yeah. At the time of this incident, Regina had actually recently been granted a restraining order against Willis, and he wasn't allowed to see their children because of you know, the abuse and the restraining order. He ended up moving to an apartment in Queens, New York, and then their divorce was pending at this point. And Regina still lived in Newtown, Connecticut. Okay. On March 21st of 1987, Regina made the difficult decision to put her son, Nicholas, the oldest one, he was four, and her middle child, Raina, the three-year-old, on a plane and sent them over to Texas to live with her sister. That's how it was getting. Like, it was getting really bad. She was fearing for her life herself but also her children because willis was unpredictable and abusive and he was the kind of guy who would use their children to get back at her seemed like wow yep so she was worried as well because apparently willis had actually made credible threats to kill them all no yeah so that's why she was like okay kids go to texas she because the four and three-year-old, what they used to do back in the day, I don't know if they still do this, is but if you were like a child flying alone, they would have like a flight attendant watch over you, yes. take care of you, you know, give you stuff to play with and stuff like that. And she would know that better than anyone being a flight attendant herself. Absolutely. On March 26th, so this was five days later, her two oldest children were safely in Texas. They made it. They're good. Regina was making moves to get her two-year-old, Ashley, also to Texas, Okay. She was sending Ashley with their live-in babysitter, whose name was Sharon. So that day, Regina left the airport. She had left. It was LaGuardia Airport in New York. She left Ashley with Sharon, and she said, I'm going to go home, get some stuff, gather some bags, and then I will meet you in Texas in a few days. And Sharon was like, okay, got it. And then Sharon and Ashley, they went to Texas, and they were safe. Okay? So the two-year-old, also safe. Unfortunately, Regina never made it to Texas. On March 27th, a neighbor called police after the family's puppy, Sport, would not stop barking for hours on end. He was found safe in the garage, but it was clear he was the only one home because there was a big old bag of dog food and lots of dog poop like around. Like he'd been left alone for a while, but somebody had left dog food to take care of him. So he was okay. He just was probably anxious and thirsty and so he was freaking out so neighbors were like where's regina where are her kids why aren't they letting out sport um when regina didn't show up for her scheduled shift on march 30th so this is about four days after she sent sharon and ashley to texas american airlines called her parents and her friends stopped by her house because that was super unlike her inside they found regina's purse her ID badge for her job, and an uncashed check that was for over $1,000. Which, I mean, if you're trying to get to Texas hurriedly to kind of move your life, you take a 
you know, a thousand dollar check, right? Wouldn't you? That's a lot of money. And probably her purse. And, pro- and probably her ID as well. I don't think- well, back then you could go on a plane without an ID, but I digress. She definitely would have brought her purse and money. Right. It was an entire week that had gone by before Regina was reported missing. Because at this point, you know, the police had stopped by to go and see, you know, why was this puppy barking so much, blah, blah, blah. And um, nothing happened. The police didn't follow up or anything. They were like, oh, this dog is just in the garage. Like, clearly it was abandoned, but who gives a shit? Whatever. Lazy police work. We know it. We see it all the time. Of course, they looked into Willis because they were like, where is your wife? We know your children are in Texas. She got them away safely. Awesome. She had put a restraining order on you. You were not allowed to see her or the children. You're probably pretty mad. Where's Regina? Despite living in Queens, though, remember I said he moved to Queens, New York. Um, He admitted to being in Newtown on that day. (gasps) He sure did. He did say that. But he said, listen. It was just, I was just checking in, or I was just there, I have family, whatever. He admitted to buying the dog food that was in the big bag of dog food that was in the garage with Sport, the puppy. And then he offered a suggestion. He said, please, I have an idea for you. Like, did you ever think to follow up with this? He suggested that they should search a certain street in New York City that was known for, like, drug abuse and drug dealers and stuff like that. And isn't it weird? But they sure did find Regina's car on that street. How did he know that? Just saying. Also, why would she leave her purse or money at her house if she's going to go buy drugs in New York? Just saying. Right? You gotta, you still got to pay for the drugs you're buying, you know? Mm-hmm. He also told people that, um, like, since she had disappeared, that uh, Regina was seen around the world on more than one occasion. Like, once she was in somewhere in South America with another man. None of that was true. He was just telling people this stuff to try and get them to, like, get off his ass. That had never been corroborated. She was never seen in another country. To this day, Regina has never been found. And no one has been charged with her disappearance. Not a single person, not even Willis. If you or anyone you know has information about the disappearance of Regina Brown, we ask that you call the Newtown Police Department at 203-426-5841. And again, this happened in 1987. We're talking 36 years. Her children are adults now. And it, it was so bold and brave of her to put them on a plane and say, get away from here. He's not he's dangerous. He's going to hurt me. He's going to hurt you guys. And sure enough, they were safe. And I'm glad she did that. It's wonderful, very selfless act. But in the end, clearly, I mean, I'm just going to come out and say it. Clearly it was Willis. I was going to say, I'll pick up the phone and call that number right now. Yeah. Who else would it be? Literally all the motivation in the world restraining order, divorce, didn't let them see their children. Um, The fact that he readily suggested where her car would be. He admitted to being in Newtown that day when he lived in Queens, New York. He admitted to buying the dog food, which um, the dog food ended up at the house. So clearly he went to the house, right? That's what I'm saying. And he's a pilot. And he's a pilot. So I'm thinking that even if she did not tell him that his children were being flown to Texas, he would know yeah. because it's a small world. 
I mean, look at right now. There's a shortage of pilots and mm. airline attendants and all of that good stuff. Yeah. All it would take would be one person to notice, oh, this is pilot so-and-so's children. Right. Let's go let them know, like, oh, hey, it's it's so crazy that your kids were going to Texas. Are they having fun? Right, right. Exactly. Or just make some kind of passing comment like that. An innocent comment. Exactly. And that probably really is what set him off. Yeah. And, you know, it's just ridiculous because clearly this man was unstable and he was volatile and it's just it's terrible because this poor woman 35 had three beautiful young children had a successful career herself was living on her own in this house without this husband Mm -hmm. she was doing okay it was probably like the best part of her life at that point because she was away from him and he was toxic the whole time and yet she ended up disappeared and she still has not been found and i mean i guess you could make the argument that she could be in Connecticut, she could be in New York, she could be anywhere in between, which I know is just Connecticut and New York, but you know what I mean? Like that's a long stretch to look through. Yeah. And to say that, oh, maybe her car is here because she abused drugs and then finding it there, is that not the most obvious thing ever? Like suggesting like he's inserting himself in the investigation, which is like one thousand percent what guilty people do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is appalling. Yeah. Ridiculous. That. Yeah. That poor woman. I know. Those poor kids. I know. And, you know, and while, of course, this is, we do the case profiles, it's all people of color. Regina is African-American. In all of her pictures, she is very fair-skinned. She looks almost like she's, I want to say, like, white presenting. She's very fair-skinned. But she is absolutely African-American if you look it up and you guys are like, wait a second, just so you know, like, she is, actually. And I believe she struggled a little bit growing up with that because she was Mm -hmm. made fun of because she was so, like, light. But she is absolutely African-American. Her children were fucking beautiful. The pictures, there's a beautiful picture of her and her three kids. And it's, like, heartbreaking because you know that they – Made it out alive. Great. But she's missing. It's awful. That was so brave Mm -hmm. and selfless of her to put herself in more danger. Absolutely. By saving her kids. Absolutely. Wow. And here's the craziest part. A year before that, and this is actually the first ever episode of Forensic Files, just so you guys know, it's a pretty well-known case. Hella Crafts was murdered by her husband, Richard Crafts, in the same town in he was a pilot and she was a flight attendant and they found her body and they, she, I think he put her through a wood chipper or something crazy like that. And when this happened, it was all over the news, mm. all over the news. And it would not be crazy to assume that it would be possible that Willis knew Richard Crafts and maybe took a page from the book as the investigation was coming out in the news. Same timeline. And the fact that they were pilot Flight attendant, kind of creepy. Yep. Wow. Yes. Isn't that nuts? And look at all of the attention that case got versus this one. You had, what, three sources? Yes. And here's the funny thing. It's it's probably because Hella Crafts was white. Isn't that weird? Ding, ding, ding. And there's a whole forensic files. The very first episode. I've wa- I watched it a while ago. There's a whole, and you know how much is on Regina Brown? There's not a Forensic Files episode. Not that it's Forensic Files' fault, but you know what I mean. There's nothing. And that's a good point. It's because Hella was hella white. 
and Regina wasn't, and Willis wasn't either. So I, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, police usually target people of color as their, you know, their perpetrators, but they wouldn't even go for that. So right, and how they viewed drug use mm-hmm. in the black population. Yep. They were probably so happy to have that tidbit of information to just write this case off. 100%. Oh, she's using drugs. She's probably was high and fell down in a river or something. That's her problem. Yep. High-risk lifestyle. Yep. There you go. Yep. So it's ridiculous. Still no answer for That is fucked. 100%. Well, guys, let us know what you think. Do you think Willis killed his ex-wife? What do you think happened to Jocelyn McCready? Mm -hmm. Let us know. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at TrueCrimeNE, and you can send us an email at TrueCrimeNE at gmail.com. Suggestions, your thoughts. If you do suggest a case for our mini episodes, or if you do suggest one for a full one, please, based in New England only, we can talk about cases that aren't in New England privately, but we're only going to cover New England cases on the show. Yes. And if you're thinking, I don't know if this one has enough information, I really want to send it in, it could use all the coverage possible. Yeah. Let us know. Send it anyway, because worst case scenario, we put it on our Instagram, our website. We still get it out there. Even if we can't talk about it, even if you guys can't listen to it, it will still be on our Instagram, our website. We're going to get it out there in any way we can. Absolutely. And with that, we'll see you on Thursday. Bye. Goodbye.